Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. In the times of Noah, the world was filled with evil and violence. God warned Noah and gave him instructions to build an ark. Noah exercised faith and obeyed. Listen in today as we learn how we can receive God's grace and exercise faith. Part two of Cheryl's message titled, The Judgment of God and Grace of God. All men but Noah and Noah's sons had corrupted themselves. Genesis 6, 11 and 12. The earth was so corrupt, so the Lord looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way. The earth was filled with such violence that existence on earth was perilous. Genesis 6, 11 through 13. My dad used to quote a hymn, and he loved to quote it. And when I quote it, you might recognize it. But he used to say, there is a time we know not when, a point we know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. The second point, so the first point being God is, judgment is righteous. The second point is that God's judgment is discriminatory. In other words, it sets a difference between the righteous and the wicked. When you read the book of Job, Satan is indiscriminatory. He just hurts everybody in his way or in his wake. He doesn't care righteous or unrighteous. He hurts everyone. Sin and the consequences of sin are indiscriminate. They affect the innocent as well as the guilty. I think of the fires in paradise, how it just destroyed the whole city, good, bad. Everyone was hurt. Most often, though, we see that it is the guilty that hurt and harm the innocent. There are over 2 million Christians that died in the concentration camps alongside the Jews in Nazi Germany. However, with God, there is a distinction. There is a difference. In Genesis 18, which we'll be studying in a couple weeks, Abraham knew this about God. When Abraham interceded for his nephew, he begins to negotiate with God in prayer. And his number one point is God's righteousness. And he says this in Genesis 18.25, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Far be it from you. 
shall not the judge of all the earth do right? When it comes to the judgment of God in Exodus, we see again, God distinguishes between the Egyptians and the Israelites where Goshen has dark uh, light while all of Egypt is plunged into darkness. The cattle of the Israelites is not affected by the disease that inflicts all of the Egyptians. God makes a difference. In Exodus 8, verse 23, God says, I will make a difference between my people and your people. Noah, his wife and three sons and three daughter-in-laws are all given directives by God to be saved. God makes a difference. Along with seven pairs of every type of clean animal, God makes a difference between clean and unclean. There is a distinguishment. And then a pair of every type of unclean animal. Genesis 6, verses 18 through 20, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. God makes a difference. He distinguishes. Point three, righteous, discriminatory, Three, God's judgment is necessary. Without it, even the earth would not survive. It protects the innocent, it stops the evil, and it protects his creation. Without God's judgment, man would destroy himself and all nature with him. I think right now of how many nations have atomic bombs, have nuclear bombs, have the ability to destroy mankind and nature and are constantly threatening to do it. We live in an era with the constant threat of some despot pushing some button and wreaking havoc on all nature and mankind. The flood is God pushing the stop button on exploitation, spiritual disaster, violence, utter corruption, utter annihilation, and extermination. Fourthly, God's judgment is measured. It's measured. It's measured by Time. There's a specific time when the flood would come. 120 years before the flood came, God spoke to Noah, Genesis 6.3. One week before the flood, Noah was called into the ark, Genesis 7.10. It's a specific day when God brings the flood. It's the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month and the 17th day. Genesis 7-11, don't you, 7-11, don't you love the specifics? God knows specifically down to the time, the hour. That's part of the measurement, the measurement. He didn't bring it a moment too soon or a moment too late. Then it's also seen in the duration, 40 days and 40 nights. 
not 41 days, not 40 and a half days, not 43 days, like, oops, went over by three days, not 39 days, 40 days and 40 nights. It has an imposed time limit. Genesis 7, 12 and 17. When David sinned in numbering the people, and we read this in the last chapter of uh, 1 Chronicles, we also read it in um, the final chapters of 2 Samuel. God comes to David and says, David, there's gotta be a judgment for what you've done. And I'm giving you the choice of three. Each one is specific. You know, three months um, in the hands of your enemies, three years of famine, or sorry, three months in my hands, three days at the hands of your enemy, or three years of famine. David, looking at all the options, says, it's better to fall into the hands of the Lord because his mercies are very great. But you see there's a time limit to God's judgment. And it's measured in implements. God uses the fountains of the deep. He breaks them up, Genesis 7:11. God opens the windows of heaven, Genesis 7:11. He uses specifics. Next, it is controlled. God never loses control of the elements, the windows of heaven, or of the springs in the earth. He never loses control of time or of the damage level. In Genesis 8, 2, we read that God stopped the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven. He is completely in control. In Exodus, we see the measured judgment of God on Egypt. Each plague is just a bit more serious as a warning, an opportunity to repent in Exodus chapters 7 through 12. And God keeps saying that they might know, that they might know, that they might know that I am the Lord. In Revelation, we see that the judgment is loosed in seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. It's not arbitrary. It's not, let's try this, or I'm angry. It's always measured. Next, God's judgment. And finally, number five, God's judgment is purposeful. It's not so much to destroy as it is to clean, purify, and put in order. It's restorative. It has an end goal. It has an objective to clean the earth, to remove the curse against the crops and nature. It's to heal the earth. It's to save mankind and the animal kingdom. God cleanses the earth so that he may repopulate, bless, and save the earth in his creation. So let's just review for a second. God's judgment is righteous. It's discriminatory. It's necessary. It's measured and it's purposeful. It's so important to know that when we're thinking about the judgment of God. But secondly, the big secondly, the story of Noah also tells us the standard by which God saves And in this standard, we see faith. Faith. 
It's saving faith. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, we're told that it is by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves, but is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, faith attracts the grace of God like nothing else. Faith attracts the grace of God. We read in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, that God's eyes search throughout the whole earth to find those who are faithful towards him. Same word, faith. Because you see, faith and faithfulness go together. It is those who are trusting in God. Not, I trusted in God, but I am continuing to trust in God. I am loyal to God because I trust in him. Faith attracts God's grace. Three times the Bible tells us that God gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3, 4, James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. Why? Because the humble know they need God. The humble believe in God. In the midst of all the exploitation, I'm better than anybody else and I deserve this. In the midst of all the violence, I'm going to protect myself. In the midst of all the wickedness, I'm going to indulge myself, whatever I want. In the midst of all the corruption, I can do whatever I want. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God saw Noah. God favored Noah out of all mankind. And Noah stood out from the rest of humanity. Why? Because of faith. But we also read that Noah was found righteous. Now we know he wasn't sinless because the Bible tells us over and over again that there is no one who hasn't sinned. In the prayer of Solomon, when he's dedicating the temple, he says, Lord, we know that there is not one who has not sinned. Paul tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So this righteousness that Noah had is not sinless perfection. No, but we'll learn what it is when we get to Genesis 15, 6. But let me tell you now that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God uses faith to account us as righteous. This faith of believing in God, believing in God, is what is reckoned to us, is what is put on our account. It is what God uses to count us, to ascribe his righteousness to us. Paul mentions this necessary quality of faith at least six times in the New Testament, this righteousness that comes by faith. Noah's faith is seen because he believes God's warning about judgment. He builds, he follows God's instructions. In Hebrews eleven seven, we read by faith, Noah being divinely warned about things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness. 
How did he get this faith? How did he become an heir of righteousness? By believing God. What is faith? Believing God. Believing that God is, that God is who he says he is, and believing that his word is true and all that he says is right. Finally, faith, righteousness, which comes by faith, and obedience. And what is obedience? Obedience is the activity of faith. You see, faith has action. James 2, 20 and 26 says, faith without works or faith without actions is dead. In other words, a faith void of obedience or a faith that does not act, live, or build on the word of God is no faith at all. It's no faith at all. If it's never tested, if it's never tried, it's no faith at all. Noah's thorough obedience showcases his faith. Think about it. He built the ark when there was no sign of rain. There had never been rain before. There was no concept of rain. And yet God said, it's going to rain. He's like, okay, whatever that is, you tell me what to do and I'll, I'll prepare for it. He built the ark to specific specifications or to God's specific instructions. Imagine this, if Noah had believed about the judgment, but said, you know what? God, you just sit back and let me build this and let me do what looks good. Can you imagine if he, you know, this, the specifications of the ark look like a barge. What if he stood back and said, but it's not pretty. Can, can I change it a little bit? God gave absolute specifics, specific dimensions, specific design, specific pitch, and special compartments in this. Anything less, if Noah had not followed to a T the specifications of God, the ark could have sprung a leak, sunk, fallen apart, or been unable to resist the waves and adulations of the storm. Anything less than complete obedience would not have preserved Noah, his family, and all of the animals on the ark for a year. Because it wasn't just the 40 days and 40 nights, now you can be free. It's also the fact that the earth had to dry up. This had to be lasting. It had to be able to land on a mountain crag and not fall apart. It had to be able to crash, to, to hit a jetty, so to speak, to, to hit a coral reef, which happened to be a mountain, and not leak, not crack, and yet they held fast. These elements of faith, righteousness by faith, and obedience because of faith are crucial and life-saving elements to escape the judgment of God. We must believe our God is, and we must believe his word. That's faith. We must secure our righteousness in believing and walking with God, and we must obey God thoroughly. 
God's judgment is a reality, whether you like it or not, whether you feel comfortable with it, whether if it gives you fuzzy feelings or not. God's righteous nature means that he must judge. He must judge iniquity, sin, and wickedness. Today, there is what we might call consequential judgment. In Galatians 6, 7, it says, whatever you sow, you will also reap. This is consequential judgment. And this we will see over and over again. The book of Proverbs deals with consequential judgment. But there is also an eternal judgment based on the decisions one makes right now on earth concerning Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the ark that God has provided for the saving of men. Those who believe God enter into Jesus and are saved. John 3, 16, you know this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Anyone who goes into Christ is saved, is saved. God has built the ark of Jesus, the Messiah, to save us from the present judgment of this world, the judgment our past sins deserve, and the pending judgment that is coming upon those who corrupt themselves in their rebellion to God. At some point, very soon, God is going to take back his vineyard. God is going to take back this world and this creation. And Jesus Christ will rule and reign over it. And those who are in Christ will be saved. And those who continually refuse Jesus Christ and continue to corrupt themselves will suffer the judgment. The way of salvation from the judgment is still by faith in God and what God says about judgment and salvation. Faith in God's Salvation through Jesus Christ, his instructions. This is my beloved son, hear him. And through obedience to God's word and what he tells us to do, we will be saved today, tomorrow, and forever. God is both judge and savior. And today, I know that you're on the good side. But everyone in this entire world is either on one side or other. You will either know God as judge or you will know God as savior. That is the reality. You are either in the ark of Jesus Christ or you are not. And you are susceptible to the floods and judgments of God. This is the message that we need to take to heart. It's a sobering message. Even as God was giving it to me, I'm like, can't I have a happy clappy? Like, you know, um, the Lord told Noah, it's going to be a floody, floody Lord told Noah, it's going to be a floody, floody, get those children out of the muddy, muddy. That's the one I wanted. Instead, I got this one, Judgment. But you know what? We must know the judgment of God to appreciate the salvation of God, to be able to have the heart of God, 
the heart of God that so loved the world, that so loves the world, that he's not willing that any should perish. Any should perish. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. God desires to put his heart of love and salvation in our hearts. The message of God's judgment is a sobering message. It is one that divides as everyone in this world is on one side or the other. You'll either know God is judge or you'll know God is savior. His heart is that we would know him as savior. He loves the world so much and his desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's heart for all of us. Jesus Christ came to save the world from sin. If you don't know him as savior, he is available to you today. All you have to do is ask. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at God's call on our lives as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.